You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled, Think His Thoughts, part four of four. Enjoy. Father, thank you for this time in your presence. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You are the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And you're living strong in us. And it's your presence in us that causes us to move forward, that inspires us to see things like you see them, to think your thoughts after you, to look and, and see beyond the current circumstances into the reality of what you purchased for us. And we're so thankful. We give our whole selves to you this morning. We cherish this time, this time of corporate worship together, where we lift up our voices and lift up our hands and, and worship you, and you minister to us by your Spirit and through your Word. We're ready to eat, Father. We're ready to eat the fresh revelation of your Son, Jesus Christ. We're ready to think your thoughts. And any thoughts that pop up contrary to you, we're ready to kick them out and replace them with you. We're going forward. You're our Father. We refuse to look back. And we thank you for taking us all the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. Are you hungry? Hallelujah. It's good to be hungry for more of Jesus. I like to keep that appetite fueled and, 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 and sensitive. You, even naturally speaking, I don't like to be, to be bloated. Bloated, you know you get bloated when you drink three cans of soda. You do. There's really not much in your stomach but air. And you feel like you just ate a turkey or something, right? But it doesn't last, does it? A few, you know, and it goes away. A burp or two, right? Well, that's what it's like when you, when you put your faith in the wisdom of man. It blows you up. It bloats you. And you feel like you're full, but when the pressure comes, you burp. And all that wisdom, it doesn't work. That's what, that's what faith in the wisdom of man is. It's gas. It is. It's empty. It makes you feel full, but it, it, it doesn't work and it doesn't hold up under pressure. Hallelujah. We need meat. Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of my Father. He said to the disciples, I have meat to eat that you know not of. It's to do the will of my Father. 
We're talking about thinking God's thoughts. We're going to finish this up today. Think His Thoughts is the name of our series. This is part four. Think His Thoughts. And we're talking about replacing thoughts that are contrary to Jesus with the very thoughts of Jesus so that His thoughts become our actions. So that people look at you, they don't know if they're looking at you or looking at Jesus. I mean, you don't have a beard and you're not wearing sandals, but you sure do look like Jesus. Hallelujah. Are you all in with Jesus? Have you signed up? Fully committed? What could possibly keep someone from fully committing to Jesus? Lies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Ed McMahon comes to your door, knocks on your door and promises you, you know, you're the winner of this next sweepstakes. I like Ed McMahon, I'm not. But it's like you get this deal in the mail, you know, that promises you something better than what Christ has for you. Do you know there was a rich young man, wealthy, who came to Jesus and he was asking Jesus some questions and he couldn't figure out, he couldn't see what the issue was in his life. The issue in this wealthy young man's life is he had made his wealth his God. Do you know this in the Gospels? Have you read? And Jesus, he's so loving, he'll speak right to the issue that's keeping you from prospering in him. Love does that. There are parents who are afraid to speak to the issues in their kids' lives. Because they have a a wrong sense of love. Love inspires you and motivates you to speak to the issues that need to be spoken to. So here's this young ruler who he said, you know, I I, I do, I basically, he, he says to Jesus, I basically do all the commandments, you know. I've got this down, Jesus. What am I missing? <laughs> well, pride, I guess, is one of the issues he had, right? He thought he was doing it all perfectly. And Jesus said to him, sell everything you've got and come and follow me. Jesus just asked him to sign on the dotted line. And you know what he did? He exposed an idol in that man's life. It was an idol of wealth. And he turned and walked away sad, disheartened. Imagine getting a personal invitation directly from Jesus and being sad about it. That means our thinking's wrong. Do you know what would have happened? Jesus told his disciples what would have happened if he would have accepted Jesus' invitation. His wealth would have increased 100 times. One hundred times. Talk about a a good investment. Following Christ with your whole being is the best investment you can ever make. Don't let anyone tell you differently. 
You see, the level of our commitment to Christ determines how freely God can move in our lives. If we're up to God, he would, he would, be, do, you know, he would be actively doing everything. Uh, he would be freely moving in our lives and directing us. But it's not up to him. It's up to us to give him our whole self. You know, you can be in church for decades and not give Jesus your whole self. That's what, 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 why religion is so shallow. It tells you you've got to do these ten things and then you're good. And if you do these ten things well, just keep doing those ten things well. And, but see, that's not a relationship. We're good because Jesus made us good through his blood. We're not trying to, to get righteous. He made us righteous. We're in a relationship with him. And a relationship involves communication, not doing ten things. <laughs> out of that communication, there will be things he'll lead me to do. But that's out of relationship, not out of a list on a, on a doctrine of a, of a denomination. Hallelujah. When you made Jesus the Lord of your life, you may not have realized it, but you signed up to be fully committed to him. And sometimes I think maybe churches are a little afraid to talk about this. So they try and get a quick altar call in, and, 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 and they're not really taking the time to express the commitment that Jesus is asking of you. This is not signing up for a club or, or, or choosing you know, to be a part of a, a monthly newsletter. Jesus asks you for everything you have. He does. He wants all of you. And, and that's true of any good husband, isn't it? I want all of my wife. That's why I married her. I would not be happy with 72%. When you're married, it is a commitment for all. It is the same with Jesus. Love won't settle for anything less. So if you haven't given all, Jesus is going to be encouraging you to do so. And that's what thinking his thoughts is. See, if I'm fully committed to Christ, that means I'm actively embracing his thoughts. I'm actively taking inventory of my thought life and depositing his word in there. Because I'm fully committed to him. So I don't just pray a prayer and, and say, okay, Jesus, you're my Lord, and then go about my life and wait to get to heaven. When I come and give my life to Jesus, I'm now fully engaged. I fully engage my thought life with his word. I, I get up in the morning to fully engage my thoughts with who he is. To fully engage my thought life, to, to purposefully deposit his word into my mind. It's a daily reality. It's a, it's a daily way of living for us. We don't go throughout a day without depositing the Word of God in our minds. We don't do it. We keep our minds on the Word of God. Why? Because we're fully committed to Him. We, we, we make our mind believe. We do. We, we train purposefully 
our mind to embrace his thoughts. It will not happen automatically. See, oftentimes the faith people are looking for comes from a full commitment. And they haven't made the full commitment and they're wanting the faith. Faith and full commitment are basically the same thing. <laughs> when you're fully committed to someone, you've put your faith in them. Relationship with Christ is what we have, right? It's all about yielding to His mind in us. We're not going to read it, but last week we looked at 1 Corinthians 2, 16 that told us that we have the mind of Christ. So that's a scripture to go over and meditate. So in this relationship with Him, we're daily yielding to the mind of Christ within us. And if any thought or feeling tries to rise up against the mind of Christ, we take it out. We take it out. We don't give it the time of day. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Hallelujah. It's good to be actively engaged with the mind of Christ. Do you know what I'm talking about? Are you actively engaged with the mind of Christ? Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let. That's a term of permission, right? Isn't it? Give permission to the mind of Christ within you. Wow. You mean I have to give permission for God to move in my life? Yes. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation. And remember, this is speaking of Jesus coming to earth, laying down his glory and coming to earth as a man. How much of a man was he? 100% man. How much God was he? 100% God. At the same time, he became a man, flesh and blood, just like you have. The only difference, he was conceived in the womb of a virgin by the Holy Spirit. So the blood in him was the blood of the Father. If they would have done a blood test on Jesus, they would have found out God was his Father. So that's what we're describing here. He said yes to the Father. Why did the Father ask him to do such a thing? Because he knew it was the price that needed to be paid for your wholeness. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He had zero followers on Insta. And being found in fashion to a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. That's commitment. Even the death of the cross. Wherefore God who hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. So we're letting this total commitment of Christ be in us. We're going all the way with Him. No matter what anyone says or thinks about us. 
We are fully committed to follow him for the rest of our days. Now, the mind of Christ is very different than the mind of this world. And you will be shocked by some of the things that Jesus will say to you because they seem impossible. And naturally speaking, they are. But because he's speaking, they're not. But I want to look a little deeper at this commitment that Jesus is asking of us. Because I don't like being a wimp. And I don't like wimpy Christians. I love them, but I don't like them. They're no fun to be around. They complain. They're afraid. They pray out of fear instead of faith. There's always another issue. There's always another problem. Someone's always offended them. Someone's always done something that shouldn't have done to them. It's just, you know. I love them, but I don't like being around them. I like being around people who are walking and living by faith in the finished work of Jesus. Those are my kind of folks. My kind of people. So in Matthew chapter 10, let's look at this because the mind of Christ, the kingdom of God, where the mind of Christ reigns is different. And you've got you to flip. See, we, when Adam sinned, he turned upside down and so did the world. And, and when Christ rose from the dead through faith in him, your life gets turned right side up again. See, the world had it backwards. They, they, they persecuted the disciples and said that they were flipping the world upside down with the gospel. No, they were turning it right back, right side up again. See, the world sees backwards of God. When you come to Christ, you start seeing truth again. Things turn right side up. Things that used to be confusing and, and warped in the mirror of the world's wisdom become clear, and you can move forward and see where you're going. So in God's kingdom, when you adopt the mind of Christ, you realize that you can only live by dying. You can only receive by giving. You can only rise by going low. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, Jesus, the mind of Christ, is talking. He who loves and takes more pleasure in, we have this up there, verse 37. I want you to see this, and, 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 and you can read it regularly in your hard copy Bible. He who loves and takes more pleasure in father or mother more than in me is not worthy of me. Commitment. So if I'm taking pleasure in anything more than I'm taking pleasure in him, I'm not worthy of him. I haven't made a full commitment to him. I'm telling you, the pleasure he will give you is out of this world. And there is nothing in this world that even can come close to the pleasure of submitting to the mind of Christ. And he who loves and takes more pleasure in son or daughter, hello parents, more than in me is not worthy of me. He just covered everybody, didn't we? All, we all have a mom and a dad, right? Many of us have children. And he who does not take up his cross and follow me. And I like, 
the Amplified, it, it, it defines follow. Cleave steadfastly to me. Conforming wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, completely to my example in living. And if need be in dying also, is not worthy of me. Are you serious, Jesus? This is the life we're called to. Now look at verse 29 like this. Let me see verse 30, excuse me. Whoever finds his lower life (laughs) will lose it, the higher life. Which beer says the high life? What beer is that? How did you know that? I gotcha. The high life. (laughs) Yeah, you watch football. Yeah, absolutely. Come on, Jen. You know all about Miller. Come on. Let's just be honest. Uh, Any questions about beer, just ask my wife. She'll set you straight. All right. Whoever finds his lower life will lose it, the higher life. No matter how, quote unquote, successful the world thinks you are, you're living a low life. You're a low life. If you're not following Christ with your whole being. Should have called this, you're a low life message, huh? So we don't want to be a low life, right? And whoever loses his low life on my account in order to follow me, if you're going to lose it, you better lose it for the right reason, will find it the Jesus life, the higher life, the life that is above the ways of this world, the life that is above the wisdom of man. The life you were made to live is on the other side of your yes to Jesus. It's the only way to get there. Say yes to all of him. And then cleave to him. The answer to every problem you may have is on the other side of your yes to Jesus. See, you could be dealing with symptoms or issues in your life and God comes along and you're reading the word and says that by his wounds you've been healed. The reality of that is on the other side of your yes, you agreeing with that. No matter how you feel. And that's, a, that's shocking to our system. Because we're trained in the world to go by the way we feel. I was told as a little kid, if it feels good, do it. By one of the adults in my life. One of the, one of the worst things you could ever teach a young person. Because it's not true. That, that's a sure way to mess up your whole life. You're taught to live by the way you feel. That's why people are, are on so many prescription drugs. Because of the way they feel, they want something that they can pop in their mouth that will take that away, but there isn't anything. 
There are things that may help for a period of time, but there are side effects with those things. Have you noticed? Now, what am I going to do with the side effects? I need to take something else to try and counter the effects of what I'm taking. But there are side effects to that. What am I going to do? I'm going to take something else to counter the side effects of that second thing. All of a sudden, we're on five, six, seven, multiple medications. Because we're living by the way we feel instead of what Christ has said about you. How am I going to live by what Christ said about me? I've got to be in it daily. I've got to meditate in the reality of what he said about me daily. I've got to make his thoughts my reality. And there's only one way for that to happen. You've got to get in your hard copy Bible. You've got to meditate in the promises of God. You've got to believe him in your heart and speak him with your mouth regularly, consistently, in the face of opposition, in the face of the way you feel. It's the only way you can rejoice in the Lord always. That would be impossible if we went by our feelings. Is that in the Bible? Rejoice in the Lord always. Have you read it? Where is it at? Philippians 4, right? Verse 4. Delight and gladden yourselves in the Lord at all times. Hallelujah. Isn't this good? Listen, because we're cleaving to Christ... Because we're living the high life, now what's important to God the Father is just as important to us. What's important to Him is no less important to us. It's just as important to us. So we are people with God's priorities. So we live differently. Right? Because the Father's priorities are now ours. Hallelujah just want to look at a few scriptures from Luke, then we'll get into the Psalms. Last week we went back to the first recorded words of Jesus. Do you remember? In Luke chapter 2. And remember in the Bible, when you come across something that's in there for the first time, it's very important, very significant. It, it sets the standard for the rest uh, of the scriptures regarding that subject. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We want to get the mind of Christ on living, on our daily lives. So we went all the way back into his childhood, and Luke gives us a record of his life as a child. I want to just going to jump around here, verse 40. I'll start in Luke chapter 2, verse 40, if we could put that up there. It says, and the child, it's talking about Jesus. He grew. Remember, God has never grown. God has never developed. This is the man, Jesus. Okay? Once you understand that. The, when he became a man, he was conceived in the womb of a woman. And he grew in that womb just like every other baby does. See, this is why human life is so important to us because God's priorities have become ours. We recognize that what goes on in the womb of a woman is of God. And no one has a right to touch that. That's why, that's why we are four babies in the womb. has nothing to do with politics. Don't get caught up in the political confusion. It has to do with the Father's priorities. We, we know from the Scriptures that that little baby in that womb has rights given to it by God. And the woman carrying that baby has no rights over that baby. God's rights. That baby belongs to God. 
See, it ends the whole argument when you start seeing things as God sees them. I have no right over my body. Who told you that it's your life and you can do what you want with it? You were made in God's image. You were bought with a price. It's not your body. Where does that thinking come from? The world, Satan. So especially for babies who can't speak for themselves, can't make decisions for themselves, we stand for them. We protect them. We speak on their behalf. Oh, I didn't bring it with me, I don't think. I wanted to bring a, I got a, a card from Your Options Medical, and I wanted to read it to you. But so far in this year, 111 babies have been saved through the ministry of Your Options. Yes. You have a part in that because every month as a church we contribute to that ministry. And not only 111 babies saved, but the mother's lives transformed. And if the fathers were involved, so many more lives changed as a result of that. Hallelujah. Thank you for your options. Lord, we bless this ministry and we thank you for the staff and all that they do on a daily basis to open people's eyes to the preciousness of human life. We thank you for meeting their needs and blessing them and increasing them, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So this child, Jesus, grew. And he waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And you're going to see why he grew, because he made decisions to study the Word of God. He made decisions to be in church regularly and to learn and to ask questions from the teachers in the church. Do you know that Jesus had to learn who he was, the man Jesus, the same way that we have to learn who we are in him? By making a commitment to study the Word of God, to study the Scriptures, to come to church regularly, to listen to the teachers, and to grow. That's how Jesus, the man Jesus, learned what his calling was. Verse 46, after three days, his parents, so you know, we, know the, we read through this last week, uh, his parents left town with the company they were traveling with. Jesus, did, he stayed in Jerusalem so he could learn more about his calling. His calling, God's calling, God's priority in his life was, were more important than traveling with his family. Were more important than being uh, with a group of people that weren't necessarily following him. I choose to be with groups of people who want to follow him. I don't choose to be with people because they're biologically related to me. I don't. So after three days, they find him in the temple, and look what he was doing. He's 12 years old, guys. 12 years old. God has no beginning. This is the man Jesus we're talking about. I know he's God, but he became a man. Just read it and believe it. He's sitting at 12 years old in the midst of the temple, listening, excuse me, in the midst of the teachers, listening to them. Wise move. And asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. This was a practice of his. And this is how he became grounded in God's priorities. 
And then the very first words we have in Scripture to come out of the mouth of Jesus are found in verse 49. And says, he says to his parents, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? The Amplified Classic says, did you not see and know that it is necessary for me to be in my father's house and occupied about my father's business? It's necessary. I've, I've made this commitment. The Passion Translation said, why would you need to search for me? Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be here in my father's house, consumed with him? It's necessary for me to be here at Highway, consumed with him? It's necessary? See, we don't see this as a warehouse in East Taunton. We see this as a temple of the living God where God has called me to plug in to what he has called me to do to receive revelation about who I am and, and what he's called me to do and the destiny he has for my life. See, the building you're meeting, meeting in takes on a whole new look when you realize why you're there. And then we'll jump to verse 52. Look what this says. And Jesus increased. God has never increased. I want to get this into your head because people uh, wrongly, they'll, they'll make a statue out of Jesus and they'll put uh, a fence around him. And they, their exalting of Jesus is not godly. They'll say, Jesus did all these things because he had this special power. No, when Jesus came to earth, he did what he did as a man seeking, seeking the Father. If you don't know, John 14, 12, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He'll do even greater things than these. Jesus as a man from the time he was born all the way uh, through his ministry demonstrated to us what we can do by knowing the Father. Now he was also God. He was also our substitution, but he was also our example. So he was fulfilling multiple roles. Don't get upset that I'm saying Jesus was a man. I know he was God. I know he was the Lamb of God. That was one role that he came for. I know he was our substitute, but I also know he was our example, right? In, in, in terms of our heart and how we live and what we believe. Are you following me? Hallelujah. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So Jesus, from the time he was a boy, made a decision that he, his life was going to be about knowing the Father. And he planted himself in church to the point where his family left and he didn't. I mean, that's commitment. Who's going to provide for him? He's 12 years old in a city by himself. I don't care. I want the Father. I want the Father. I want the Father more than I want anything in this world. I'm fully committed to Him, cleaving to Him. I'm all about what's important to Him. Psalm 92. Look what happens when you plant yourself in the house of God. Psalm 92 verse 12 says, The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord 
shall flourish in the courts of our God. You can't be planted if you're, if you're in one place and then going to another and then going to another. Planting is symbolic of commitment, isn't it? When, when you get, I remember that we got a tree years ago for Jennifer, on a, I think it was Mother's Day, the kids picked out a tree and we wanted to put it in the front yard. Is it a dogwood? No, what is it? Remember? Dogwood. I don't know how it's doing. How is it doing? Not good. I think I think I think I ran over it with a lawnmower or something. I don't know what I did. But anyway, but we had to pick a spot in the yard and then plant it there. Knowing it would never move from there. So we had to give forethought to it. Right? Because we know it's gonna grow. So is, can we put it in this spot, and will it be able to grow here? So when I look for a, a, a church to come to, I cannot settle for anything less than the fullness of the gospel, the finished work of Christ, the gospel of grace, the gifts of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, healing, all that he provided for me. I can't settle for anything less than that because I need room to grow, man. I've got to see beyond where I'm at to the fullness of what God has called me to do. And when I find that place, I plant myself there so that I can grow and begin to flourish and become all that he's purposed me to be. They shall, look at this, and now we're talking, we're talking about commitment, right? So those who plant themselves in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. Now, this word fat is used differently today. But there was a time not too long ago when it was a compliment, like in the 80s and 90s. That's fat. Anyone remember that? Yeah, the, the younger generation would say, that's fat. Well, it was like in the 80s and 90s. There were things that were new, new songs that would come out, and they would say it was fat. I mean, but things like that change over here. You following me? All right. But in, in the writing of the Scriptures, this was, let me read you the definition of fat, okay? Agile. Limber, graceful, characterized by energy and strength, glistening, bursting with health. They shall be glistening and agile, limber and graceful, characterized by energy and strength and flourishing. Here's a rendering from the New American Standard about those who have planted themselves that when they're old, this is what, they will thrive in old age. I don't know if we have that there. They will thrive in old age. They will thrive in old age. They shall be full of sap. Glistening. Strong. Oozing with life. They'll be full of sap and very green. 
Do we have that up there? No, we don't have that on there. That's the New American Standard. To show that the Lord is upright, He's my rock, and there's no unrighteousness in Him. Oh, the benefits of planning yourself in the business of God. Hallelujah. Boy, oh boy, time sure does seem to fly when you're having fun, doesn't it? Well, let's see what we can do here. What's the business of God's house? Well, we see that in verse 46 of Luke chapter 2, right? Teaching people to know Him. What's the business of highway? Teaching people to know Him. Right? That's the business of God's house. How do we do that? Well, there's two ways. Through corporate worship and the preaching and teaching of the Word. Okay? We're going to look at some scriptures on that. So the business of this house, the business of God's house, is teaching people to know that, to know Him. And we do that through corporate worship and the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. So when you come in, normally we'll start with corporate worship. And there's something very powerful when you do it by faith, when you do it with the mind of Christ about corporate worship. So we, we endeavor to create an atmosphere that exalts the presence of God, which brings about an awareness of the reality of God. I want to say that again. This is what corporate worship is for. We, we come together, we begin by corporate worship to create an atmosphere that exalts the presence of God. So uh, an awareness of the reality of God will come forth. That's what corporate worship is. Creating an atmosphere that exalts the presence of God that brings forth the reality of God. An awareness of that reality. Now, there are two ways that we do this corporate worship. One is we bring our sacrifice of praise. Let's look at Hebrews 13, 15. Hebrews 13, 15. says, therefore, by Him, by Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Why is that a sacrifice? Because many times we don't feel like doing it. That's a sacrifice, right? Okay, I've got to... All right, I don't feel like getting up this morning. I don't feel like going to church, but I'm going to give God a sacrifice of praise. I'm going to change the way I feel by praising Him. If you haven't learned to do that, start today. Learn to change the way you feel by praising Him. Woo! And and, and watch the prescription medicine go bye-bye. If you will cultivate and develop skill in praising Him, your whole countenance will change. But you got to practice it. When you feel lousy, when you feel like everyone in the world is against you, that you're a failure, you're a loser, there's nothing to look forward to, depression, anxiety, worry, you begin saying, God, you're so good. 
Lord, I worship you. God, I exalt you. You are my Savior and my strength. You are the peace of my mind. You're the joy of my soul. And I worship you and magnify your name. I give you glory and honor and praise. I rejoice in you, Father. I, I leap up and down. I shout your praises. And I say, God, you're good and your mercy endures forever. You are working in my life. You're causing me to prosper. You're causing me to, to, to move forward. And I thank you for accomplishing the things that concern me. God, you're faithful to work all things out for my good. I thank you, Lord, that every problem in my life, you're, you're the answer to it. That you're solving them. That I have nothing to be afraid of. I have nothing to worry about because you're my Father and you love me with a perfect love. Thank you. I receive your love for me and I worship you, God. And I bless your name and I give you honor and I give you praise. Thank you, Lord, that your joy has now become my strength. Thank you that the mind of Christ is reigning in me. Thank you, Lord, that I'm a new creation in you, that my past is behind me, and that your future is in front of me. Thank you, Lord, for fulfilling your calling upon my life. Thank you for providing richly all things to enjoy. Hallelujah. And I don't know, maybe 15, 20 minutes later, I might feel differently. But if you'll practice this, the effect happens a lot quicker. But you got to practice it. you got to practice praising Him. So we bring our sacrifice of praise. Psalm 100 verse 4 says this, Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. That's how we come in this place. Thankful. Because everything's going right in our lives? No, because God's working everything out for our good. No matter what it looks like. Right? We enter into his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. There's so much to learn from the tabernacle in the wilderness. Oh, my goodness. You know the, the way to enter into the tabernacle that God set up was on the east side? The east gate. Do you know what tribe camped outside of the east gate of the tabernacle? Judah. Praise. Praise is the way to enter into the things that God has for you. Praise is your faith in action. Praise is the way to enter into all that God has prepared for you. Praise Him. We praise Him in the morning. We praise Him in the afternoon. We praise Him in the evening. We praise Him in the middle of the night. We praise Him at breakfast time. We praise Him at lunch time. We praise Him at dinner time. We praise Him when we're watching football. Hallelujah. God, you're so good. Psalm 150. We're talking about the house of God. What we're doing here, we're about his business. Through, through, we're teaching people to know him through corporate worship and the preaching and teaching of the word. That's what this is about. That's why we're here. That's why this church has started. Psalm 150, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the lute and harp. Those are instruments. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and flutes. Glory. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. That's what we're doing. 
right? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Every time that cymbal crashes, that's praise. Every time that guitar string bends, that's praise. Every time you, let, every time you set your foot in this door, that's praise. We are creating an atmosphere that exalts the presence of God, the name of God, who He is and what He's done for us, and it brings about this awareness that He's real. Now, what's the second part of our worship that we do? Well, we get into the Word, but we usually, sometimes before the Word, sometimes after, we bring our tithes and offerings. This is just as much as part of worship as praise the Lord. Just as much. Let's take a look at this in the Scriptures. In Exodus chapter 25, verse 2, God spoke to his leader, Moses, and he said, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. Boy, would the, the media have a field day with that. <laughs> this guy said God told him, told those people to bring God an offering. Whoa, what a shyster. What a crook. What a, what a bandit. The world doesn't understand what we're doing. There are some that see this as a cult or a scam. So here we have in the Scriptures, and you'll see it all throughout the Scriptures, God speaks to the leader to tell the people to bring God an offering. Not to bring God an offering. Now look at this next part. Of every man that gives it willingly. There's no manipulation in that. Right? It's something you're choosing to do. Willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. Now, in Malachi chapter 3, the last book of the Old Testament, and people say, well, this is in the Old Testament. Did you know that uh, what you're calling the Old Testament, people were referring to the Mosaic Covenant given on Mount Sinai, wasn't in effect till about 2,500 years after man fell. There's only about 1,500 years of prior to Matthew that, we call, that, that what you're calling is the Old Testament. So you will see tithing before the Mosaic Covenant. You'll see it during the Mosaic Covenant. You'll see it after in just a minute. But just because the Old Covenant is no longer in effect doesn't mean we don't read it. In fact, we treasure it. We're not under the law. Thank God for that. But there is so much to learn about the true nature of Christ by studying the law. By studying the Old Covenant from Genesis to Malachi. Well, I'm a New Testament Christian. Well, good. Be a good New Testament Christian. Understand your history and where you came from. Understand what, the nature of Christ. You know Jesus was in the Old Testament? What? Oh, yeah. 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 He's in every book. Everything that God the Father spoke in the Old Testament was Jesus speaking. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So thank God we're under a new covenant. We're living in the age of His grace, but we need to learn from the old covenant. Hallelujah. So in the old covenant, Malachi 3, look at this in verse 9. God is speaking to His people, and He, and he says, Will a man rob God? You have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? The answer, in tithes and offerings. They weren't bringing tithes and offerings to God's house. 
And God says, you're robbing me. That's a big deal. I don't care what covenant you're under. We're seeing the heart of God. Remember when Jesus said, I must be about my father's business? God treasures his house. He doesn't see it like the world sees it. He doesn't see this as a warehouse. He sees the place that he prepared for you to know him. And when you begin to treasure it as such, you'll begin to experience what he's prepared for you. You're cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even the whole nation. God just tells the truth. I'm so thankful he tells us the truth. And he's not some flowery buttercup that tries to manipulate us like politicians. No, not all politicians are like that. No, I'm, I know that, but it seems like a good bit of them are. <laughs> Thank God for good politicians. Hallelujah. We bless them. Hallelujah. A lot of manipulations, though, in politics, but God doesn't do that. He tells you the truth. Bring all, even, though, even if God's going to lose the next poll, he'll tell you the truth. He lost a lot of polls. you know that? He does. God's lost a ton of polls. You know, no one's lost more than God the Father, but he keeps telling the truth. <laughs> hey, yep. You are cursed with the curse, for you have robbed me, even, uh, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Try me now in this. Look what he says. I'm going to read this in the uh, Passion. Bring your full tithe to the temple treasury. To there, uh, excuse me, so there will be ample provision in my temple. Test me in this and see if I don't open up heaven itself to you. And pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. Remember the rich young ruler? Bring my tithe. That's a lot of money. You know what I could do with that money? God wants to do beyond your wildest dreams. I will defend you against marauders. I'll protect your wheat fields and vegetable gardens against plunderers. This is the message of God of the angel armies. Now, what about the New Testament? Same thing. They were wilder in the New Testament when they got saved in Acts. They were just crazy, selling houses, selling lands, and bringing the whole, whole thing into the church. So you want to talk about tithing, they went way beyond the tithe. Way beyond the tithe. But in Hebrews chapter 7, and, and stay with me, I'm trying to finish this thing as quickly as possible. But in Hebrews, it's such an important book. I mean, every book in the Bible is important. But what's special about Hebrews is it pulls Genesis to Revelation together. It pulls before the Mosaic Covenant, the covenant of Abraham that God made, which is the covenant that we're of, covenant of faith, the Mosaic Covenant, and the New Covenant. It shows the importance of the Old Covenant covenant, and the system of worship that God established through the tabernacle and how Jesus fulfilled that. Very, very important. Very, very important. And in Hebrews chapter 7, it talks about Melchizedek. Where is Melchizedek found in the Scriptures? Who can help me? Where does he show up, Melchizedek? Genesis, I think it's somewhere around 15, uh, somewhere in there. But he, he, he appears to who? Abraham, right? right? Well, in Hebrews chapter 7, it tells us that Jesus was, is Melchizedek. Jesus appeared to Abraham, more than once actually. 
It tells us in Hebrews chapter 7, see the New Testament reveals the, the significance of the Old Testament, that Jesus was Melchizedek, and it further tells us that Jesus is the high priest over the house of God. And that Jesus in the New Testament receives our tithes and offerings. Wow! Isn't that awesome? So good. So, so good. I'm going to try and finish. I want to to get these last two scriptures in before we close because they're so good. So that is what we do. We, We corporate worship, which consists of our sacrifice of praise and our tithes and offerings. Why? So people will know him. To help people to know him. So to, de- to demonstrate what it's like to live for him. And lastly, the preaching and teaching of the good news of the kingdom. And I'm just going to, well, we'll just hit one, one scripture on this. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. This will change your life. This is the ministry of Jesus, the Son of God. It says he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, which began Friday evening through Saturday evening, and many, uh, excuse me, Sabbath had come, he began to teach where? Here he is 30-some years old, still doing what he did when he was a kid, in the house of God, in the house of God. He knows where to look for his father. He knows what the father's business is, right? So here he is. Uh, 30 plus years, he, he begins to teach in the synagogue, in church, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? See, he, he was well known here. And he's returned to his hometown. And they knew who, who, who his parents were. They said, is not this the carpenter? The son of Mary and brother of James and Joses and Judas and, and, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended. Yeah. And he just lost the pole, didn't he? Yeah. Verse 4, but Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now look at verse 5. So important. Now he, this is about Jesus, the perfect son of God. He could do no mighty works there. Are you telling me we can limit God with a bad attitude? Yes. Absolutely. 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 Your bad attitude will limit what God can do in your life if you choose to have one. They were offended at him. You know, it's amazing how people get offended at the preaching of the word. The very thing that would make them whole, they get mad at. And then they wonder why they don't see miracles in their lives. This is Jesus. In the, God in the flesh could do no... That means he wanted to do them. He was trying to do them. He went to minister and make people whole and nothing happened. I hope you're hearing this. Jesus was trying to do mighty works and he couldn't do them because of their unbelief. Is that eye-opening or what? Because religion says, oh, God can do whatever he wants to. Everything happens as God's will. Jesus didn't teach that. 
Bible doesn't teach that. You play a role in what God can do in your life. You have to choose to believe Him. You have to choose to not be offended by what He says is truth. You have to choose to let His Word change your thinking. Hallelujah. He could do no mighty works there. Where was I? Uh, verse 5, right? Except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Just mild little things. And now, look, But look at his response to it. This is why we're here. This is why we take the time we do on Sunday mornings. Listen, if you've been binging on Netflix all week, you need some word to cleanse yourself. Get that out of your thinking. He marveled because of their unbelief. What was his response to that, though? He marveled first, but what did he do? Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Went around from synagogue to synagogue teaching what? The good news of the kingdom. There are so many things I'd like to. I mean, there are any given time hundreds of topics I'd like to preach on on Sunday morning or I'd like others to preach on or I'd like to dive into. But you've got to understand, this time is so special that as I go before the Lord during the week, I have to say, Lord, what do you want to say? Not what do I want to say. And I endeavor to surrender to Him Sunday through Sunday and say, Lord, what do you want to bring into their lives? And that is a commitment and a sacrifice daily. That is a commitment that has caused me to change everything in my life 30-some years ago and to follow Him. That's what apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are for. They're people who are cleaving to Christ and say, Father, what do you have to say to your people? That doesn't mean we're perfect, and that doesn't mean I get everything right or I always say everything right, and I know I don't. But it does mean that God's alive and He will speak to you when you come here. He'll speak to you as soon as you walk in the door through worship time and through offering time, through the message. He will speak to you to strengthen you, to quicken you, to replace your thoughts with His thoughts. Father, we thank You for this time together this morning. Lord, You're so good. We're so thankful for Your business. We're getting into your business, Father. We've become business partners with you. This is a family business. You are the Father. God is the Son. Holy Spirit. And we've become your sons and daughters. Jesus is our elder brother. We thank you for bringing us into the family business of teaching people to know you. And Father... We give our whole selves to you. We, it is necessary for us to be in your house and to be consumed with knowing you. Though people will laugh at us, criticize us, though we may lose some polls, we're going to follow you. We are people who are all about knowing you. And Lord, we do it willingly because you're a joy. You're the joy of our hearts. We come here willingly, Lord. We're free of religious bondage. We're free of manipulation. We come here because we love you. And we want to know you more. Thank you, Father, for giving us a place in this area, 
in this geographical area where we can come and freely worship you and get set free from religious tradition and the burdens of man's wisdom and be healed and delivered and discover the wonders of you. We don't take this lightly. We thank you for this, for this temple. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And Father, I thank you for this highway family. Thank you, Lord, for calling us to do what what you've called us to do. And thank you for bringing this highway family together. What a special group of people. My wife and I have gotten the privilege to know. Thank you for each person here. And those who may be at home today that are still part of the highway family. Thank you. And Lord, I lift them up and I ask you, Holy Spirit, to strengthen and encourage them. To show yourself strong on their behalf and to minister to every need of their life supernaturally through the provision of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.